Welcome to Scripture Uncovered, a podcast on the Bible brought to you by Logos Bible Study and LogosBibleStudy.com. This week, we've launched our annual summer sale in the online classroom. Get 50% off all online courses from now until the end of August. Go to LogosBibleStudy.com and click on Online Classroom to view our course catalog. At checkout, use coupon code SUMMER2018 and get 50% off. That's coupon code SUMMER2018 at checkout. Now, time for the show. Here's your host, Dr. Bill Creasy. Hello, gang. Bill Creasy here with this week's episode of Scripture Uncovered. This past Wednesday, we celebrated the Feast of the Assumption of the Virgin Mary, a teaching in the Roman Catholic Church that Jesus' mother Mary, having completed the course of her earthly life, was assumed body and soul into heavenly glory. The teaching was defined by Pope Pius XII on November 1st, 1950, so it's a relatively recent liturgical celebration. I'd like to take this opportunity to explore the person of Mary in a three-part podcast. First, looking at who she is. Second, at what role she played in Jesus' life. And third, what role she plays in the church and in our lives as Christians. It's important, I think, to take a close look at Mary because there are so many misconceptions about her. Some Roman Catholics elevate her to such a high position as to call her co-redeemer or co-redemptrix with Jesus himself. And others, primarily evangelical Protestants, tread her underfoot seeing her as a danger, a distraction from the pure, authentic worship of God. For them, any attention paid to Mary is a form of idolatry, something to be condemned as heresy. So, let's turn to Scripture, where we first meet Mary, and straighten this whole thing out. In Luke chapter 1, we learn that Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, an older, childless couple, have miraculously been granted a son whom they're to name John. This John will become John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. The angel Gabriel delivered the message to the priest, Zechariah, while he was ministering in the temple, burning incense before the Lord. Luke 1, verse 36, tells us that Elizabeth was a relative of Mary. Now, the Greek word is Sunganese, that is, a blood relative. Tradition holds that Mary's mother, St. Anne, and Elizabeth's mother, Sobe, were sisters, Sobe being the elder of the two. So let me turn to the story over in Luke 1, beginning at verse 5. Now, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. They were a good, holy couple. Zechariah was a priest. Elizabeth was also of the priestly tribe. And Zechariah was of the division of Abijah. Now, a thousand years earlier, back in King David's day, 
he organized the priesthood into 24 divisions. And the division of Abijah is the eighth of those 24 divisions. Now they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. Now there's a theme that runs through the Bible, the barren wife. Think of Sarah, think of Rebecca, think of Rachel, think of so many women in scripture who are barren and are miraculously enabled to have a child. Now we continue. Once when Zachariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of incense, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Now we need to pause here for a moment. There are 24 divisions of priests. Zechariah is in the eighth division, the division of Abijah. Now at the time of Jesus, the temple, of course, is in Jerusalem. The priests lived all over the land. You might recall 48 towns and villages were assigned to the priests in which they would live and minister to the people. So once a year, each priest would come to the temple to serve for two weeks. If there are 24 divisions, 24 divisions, 12 months out of the year, that is a two week reserve duty, if you will, in Jerusalem. So it was Zechariah's time. He came to Jerusalem and he was chosen by lot for one of the most important jobs of the priesthood, to burn incense before the Lord. Incense was burned before the altar of the Lord twice a day, once in the morning and once in the evening. And burning incense spoke of offering the people's prayers up to God. Because after all, that's what a priest was. He stood between God and the people, and he spoke to God on behalf of the people, offering their prayers in the form of incense morning and evening. How many times, now Zechariah is an old man, how many times in his life had Zechariah been on reserve duty and got the lot that allowed him to burn incense either morning or evening on one of the days of the two-week reserve period? Well, probably never. When David was organizing the priesthood into divisions, there were 24,000 priests, a thousand in each division. Now, a thousand years have gone by, so there are many more priests than a thousand. So Zechariah drawing the lot to burn incense was like winning the lottery. So he went inside. He went inside the temple. He had probably never been in the temple proper in his entire life. He opened those big golden doors. He walked in, they closed behind him. He saw the menorah off to the left. He saw off to the right, the table of showbread. He saw a beautifully embroidered curtain before him and in front of the curtain, the altar of incense. No one else inside but Zechariah and all the assembled worshipers were outside. So Zechariah approaches the altar of incense. He closes his eyes and offers a prayer. Now, what was in the prayer? Well, we'll find out momentarily. 
But when he opened his eyes, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Well, that must have scared the heck out of him. Angels are huge, awesome, fierce creatures. There was no one in there when he walked in, no one there when he closed his eyes, but when he opened them, there was the angel, and it's the angel Gabriel. Now, when Zechariah saw him, he was startled, gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, as angels always do, fear not. Fear not, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Ah, the prayer that he made standing before the altar of incense when he closed his eyes. And what was it he prayed? Lord, if there is any possible way, give me a son. So the angel, Gabriel, tells Zechariah, your wife will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John, and he will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. He will be a Nazarite from birth. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Now many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of the prophet Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So this little boy, John, will grow to be John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah, the forerunner of Jesus. Now, Mary and Elizabeth are relatives. John and Jesus will be cousins. Now, Zechariah asked the angel, well, how, how can I be sure of this? I, I'm an old man, and have you seen my wife lately? And the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you the good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak. You will be silent, not a punishment, but a blessing a time to ponder the magnitude of this event. You will be silent until this happens because you did not believe my words. That is, you didn't comprehend them, you didn't understand them. So I'm plunging you into silence that you might ponder. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why in the world he was so long in the temple. My goodness, maybe he dropped dead in there. Well, when he came out, he couldn't speak to them. And they realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs. Oh, his eyes were wide, he was white as a sheet, and he was flailing his hands. And then they realized he had seen a vision. Now, when his time of service was completed, when the two-week reserve period was over, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. Notice how many people are plunged into silence in this story. Zechariah and now Elizabeth remain secluded the whole first six months of her pregnancy, five months of her pregnancy. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Now, the scene cuts north, 90 miles north from Jerusalem, to Nazareth, 
a tiny little village on a finger ridge in the Jezreel Valley. And we read, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now she was pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. She was betrothed. A betrothal in the time of Jesus, in this time, in this culture, a betrothal was a binding legal document. These two people, Joseph and Mary, had been pledged legally to one another. They are, in effect, contractually married. Now, during the betrothal, the bride has not yet moved in to the husband's home, but they are legally together. To break a betrothal is, in effect, to divorce. It's a legal proceeding that would be required. So Mary is betrothed to Joseph. And I imagine, like any young girl, I think Mary may have been, oh, what, 13, 14, 15 years old? And like any young girl, she had a vision of what her future would be. She was not a particularly important person. She lived in the little town of Nazareth, uh, maybe 20 extended families at the most, a couple of hundred people, tiny little village in a remote rural area. And she had a vision of her life, that she would marry this man. Clearly, she must have loved him. The families had arranged the marriage. And what would it be like? Well, she'd have a nice little thatched cottage with a white picket fence and, and, and rose bushes out front a passive little children running about. That was her expectation. But the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now this is the angel Gabriel. And remember when Zechariah saw Gabriel, he was startled and gripped with fear at this huge, awesome creature. Well, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. She's by herself in a little house in a rural area in Galilee. And suddenly this awesome, huge, masculine creature appears. Well, she's expecting the worst for sure. You know, this is not good. She's terrified as well. What's he going to do to me? What kind of greeting is this? But the angel said to her, as angels always do, fear not. Fear not, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, his kingdom will never end. Well, holy cow, that is quite a greeting. You, Mary, betrothed to Joseph, are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son who will reign forever on the throne of David. Now, how can you wrap your mind around something like that? And what is it Mary's thinking? How will this be since I'm a virgin? How will this be since I do not know a man? 
I've never had sex with anyone. And I don't intend to until I marry Joseph and move into the house. How will this be since I'm a virgin? In other words, what are the mechanics of this? Well, the angel Gabriel, the only time in scripture an angel blushes, and watch how fast he answers. Well, the, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. But, you know, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. Hey, nothing's too hard for God. Explanation over. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and overshadow you, and you will become pregnant. Now, this gives Mary something to think about. Because every little girl growing up at this time in this place knew Deuteronomy 22, verse 23. The law, the Mosaic law, from God's lips to Moses to you. And it reads... If a man happens to meet in a town a virgin pledged to be married, that would be Mary, in a town pledged to be married, you shall take both of them to the gate of that town and stone them to death. The girl, because she was in a town and did not scream for help, and the man, because he violated another man's wife. You must purge the evil from among you. If Mary were to become pregnant by someone other than Joseph after she moves into the home, what would the punishment be? Dragged to the town gate and stoned to death. Every little girl knew this. It was drummed into their head from the time they could understand. You did not do that. And that's still true in many parts of the Middle East, particularly in rural areas. So Mary has a lot to think about. She had expectations for her life. And suddenly those expectations are totally overturned. And what do you mean? I, I'm a virgin. How am I going to become pregnant? The Holy Spirit will come upon you and overshadow you. I, I never understood the mechanics of how that worked until we were diving in the Egyptian Red Sea on a beautiful day. It must have been in the 90s outside. We were on a chartered boat, so we could go anywhere we wanted. And it was an afternoon dive. And I remember rolling off the Zodiac into the water, dropping down to about 110 feet under the water. The water was like liquid crystal, perfectly 100 feet of visibility. And I remember moving along at a, at a nice, even pace, horizontal, legs up, relaxed, beautiful day, headed toward a coral reef. And I turned and looked up, and I noticed I could see the surface of the water from that deep. I turned and looked up, and I saw the sun shining through the water and illuminating the sandy bottom. It was an epiphany. When I rolled off the Zodiac and hit the water and dropped down the water column to the bottom at 110 feet, I punched a hole through the water as I was going down. 
but the light coming through the water illuminated not only the water but the ground the sand and it never moved the water that's the virginal conception that's how it works the holy spirit will come upon you and overshadow you so mary has a lot to think about and the angel gabriel waits patiently and then mary finally says I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And the angel left her. Mary said, yes. Now, Mary had a lot to lose, and I don't think she would ever, in her worst nightmares, understand the implications of that choice. Never would she think that this son who would be born to her, this son of God, would be nailed to a cross in Jerusalem and die a hideously painful death with her at the foot of the cross as his blood ran down the cross and perhaps dripped upon her. She would never have imagined that. You know, we can say a lot of things about Mary, but the most important thing, and the most important thing for me, is not so much that she had faith, she did have faith, but she had courage. She had the courage to say yes. It could have meant her death. Joseph could not have understood, could have dragged her to the town gate and had her stoned. But she had the courage to say yes. And you know, Mary is the first person to say yes to Christ. In that sense, she is a model for our faith. Every one of us. We today, when we encounter Christ and we say yes to him, I give my life to you. I live my life in you and through you and for you. That takes courage because everything will change. Everything. And we don't know what the end result of that will be. We don't know any more than Mary did. But Mary said yes. Now, this brings up another issue. What about Joseph? How is she going to tell Joseph? And would he possibly understand any of this? Well, if we turn over to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, we read, This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. So they were betrothed, but she had not yet moved into the house. And before she did, she was found to be with child. She was pregnant. Now, how could Joseph possibly understand this? Mary has to tell him. She can't keep him in the dark. I would love to be a fly on the wall when she sat down with Joseph and held his hand and looked in his eyes, the one she thought would be her husband, that she would, that she would be his wife for, for all of their lives and raise a family and have a wonderful life together. 
And she looks into his eyes and she said, I'm pregnant. Joseph must have been shocked, angry, and then heartbroken. What could he do? This is a little town, a little village of a couple of hundred people out in the boondocks. A little village in a, in a tiny rural area. Everybody will know. He could, he could have taken her to the town gate and had her stoned to death. But he didn't want to do that. He loved her. He, he certainly has no understanding of any of this. But we read, Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, and he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. He's going to file the paperwork. Oh, he'd have to meet with the rabbi. And there was a rabbi in Nazareth. We see in Luke chapter 4, Jesus preaches at the synagogue in Nazareth. So Joseph, after being told by Mary, would certainly have gone to the rabbi, the one who would conduct their, their wedding ceremony, their uh, moving in together ceremony. All the town would have turned out, be a great party, lots of wine. Remember the wedding at Cana? Oh, it'd be quite the thing. All the preparations were made. The invitations were sent out. The flowers had been ordered. But... He says to the rabbi, the wedding's off. What? The wedding's off. Mary's pregnant by someone else. Oh my. Oh. They talked about it. He had the option of having her stoned, but he loved her. And the rabbi said, well, there, there is an alternative. We can issue a writ of divorce. It'll take a little time, but we'll end the betrothal. The families will be devastated. People will know. And Joseph said, all right, that's what we'll do. But obviously Mary could not stay in Nazareth. Everybody's going to know this within, within hours. Everybody will know it. All the women of Nazareth go to the, the well every evening and get water for the next day. And they all talk and the children play. This will spread like wildfire. So Mary left. And where did she go? The only other person who would understand any of this was her relative Elizabeth who lived 90 miles south of Nazareth, just outside of Jerusalem. So we read back over in Luke chapter 1, verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. She went to Elizabeth, all by herself, a little 13, 14-year-old pregnant teenager holding a little blue suitcase walking 90 miles to the only person who could understand any of this. 
Well, Mary knocked on the door. And Elizabeth came to the door, and the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and in a loud voice said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Elizabeth had been in solitude, in silence, for six months. So had Zechariah, and they were pondering all of this, the angel Gabriel and the message, and, and Elizabeth when she saw Mary standing at the door, she knew, she knew. As soon as the sound of you, your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And then Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation, and he's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, lifted up the humble, and filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. The Magnificat, Mary's great hymn of praise. And then we read, Significantly, in verse 56, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months, that is, until John was born, and then she returned home to Nazareth. Three months she stayed with Elizabeth. I wonder what the conversations were. Elizabeth said, Mary, you have to go back. I, I couldn't possibly go back. I'd be so humiliated, Joseph won't have me. He, he's filing the divorce papers. He'll understand, he'll know. You have to go back. Well, Elizabeth convinced her and Mary went back, walking the 90 miles with her little blue suitcase. Oh, I'd love to have been there in Nazareth, a fly on the wall. As she's approaching Nazareth, Joseph was sitting at home, having a glass of wine. Three months had gone by. He's heartbroken, couldn't sleep very much. And he fell asleep in that chair with his wine. And he had a dream. And in the dream, the angel Gabriel appeared and said to him, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place, Matthew writes, to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 7:14. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Joseph then woke suddenly. Oh my God! 
Now I understand. And Mary's gone. I, I don't even know where she went. I've, I've lost her. What am I going to do? Knock on the front door. And Joseph went to the door. He opened the door. And there was Mary standing there, little blue suitcase, pregnant. Can you imagine witnessing the scene? They embraced. The tears flowed. The hankies came out. Joseph welcomed her home. You know, this whole story, this whole story certainly demonstrates the faith of Zechariah, the faith of Elizabeth, of Mary, of Joseph, but it demonstrates courage as well. This was so far off the charts. Who would believe any of this? And of course, Mary will give birth to Jesus. We'll talk about that next week. And everybody in Nazareth will know about this. Everybody in Nazareth will know that Mary had left, that Joseph was filing for the divorce, that she came back and he took her into his home. That would be a scandal, an absolute scandal. But they're both willing to stand up to it. Joseph and Mary had the courage to say yes to God. Next week, we'll look at the birth of Jesus and his childhood. So stay tuned. Thank you for listening. Keep, I'll keep you in my prayers all week long. Please keep me in yours. And we'll be back together again soon. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Scripture Uncovered, a podcast on the Bible brought to you by Logos Bible Study and LogosBibleStudy.com. Don't forget, we're now running our annual summer sale in the online classroom. Visit LogosBibleStudy.com and click on Online Classroom to learn more. At checkout, use coupon code SUMMER2018 and get 50% off. When you enroll from now until the end of August, you will also get free access to Dr. Creasy's upcoming webinar session. Visit LogosBibleStudy.com to learn more, and at checkout, use coupon code SUMMER2018. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.